Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, friends. Welcome. So we have invited Bettina Wildhaber, who is the author and creator of NeurodiversityNetwork.net. And she has a really impressive website where she's consolidated various neurodiversity resources into one place with a goal to enhance awareness and acceptance for neurodivergent individuals and to help them find meaningful employment and educational experiences. And Bettina is a career advisor at her alma mater, California State University, Chico. And for the past 12 years, Bettina has worked primarily with nonprofit organizations, providing employment and enrichment opportunities for the neurodiverse. And Bettina returned to CSU Chico to obtain a social science master's degree in 2017, where she graduated with an emphasis in career development and part of completing her degree, she developed a website of employment resources for neurodiverse individuals, the community and employers. So was that the website that yeah, that we that's see? that's the website. It's it's the product of uh, my project for for my master's degree. Absolutely. I love that you have four main sections that show up on your homepage. One is to learn. The second is to work or you know independence and self support, and then connect, which is really important, and then achieve. And all all of those have their different subsections, but it really is a great website. And that's why we asked you on is um, Neurodiversity Network is a great clearinghouse for information, sharing resources, um, latest trends and patterns, news, things like that. Being inspired by other leaders in the community and just really, really love what you're doing with it. So one of our first questions is, what, what are you passionate about? What is it that makes you stick with this? probably when it's not a moneymaker? Well, it's absolutely not a moneymaker. <laughs> if anything, I lose money from just keeping the website um, open. I, uh, you know, I've just, through my professional experience, I've always advocated. I've advocated for someone in some way. And through um, my experience, what, what I kind of struggled with actually before um, I, I went on to do my master's degree, I was working with a lot of individuals who were transitioning out of high school, um, who are on the spectrum and or have been graduated for a while and were trying to get employment. And they were just struggling either to, to get the employment or, or to retain it. And you know, I also worked with, you know, four-year-olds and and elementary school children and advocated in the school system. And I also worked with elderly and advocating with, you know, medical assistance that they needed. But this kind of transitioning age is where I really developed this passion that um, in the sense that the advocacy needed to happen, Uh, I felt like there was a big gap there. And so, I started exploring those resources because I was struggling to provide those resources, you know, as a service coordinator for, for these individuals I was working with. And um, I ended up going back to school 
And so I went to get my master's essentially just to gain more knowledge so I could just be better at, at being an advocate. Um, and in my program, I had the option to either do a thesis or a project. And, you know, after a lot of brainstorming, a project just made some more sense to me. I'm a very creative person and it just was a really great fit. But as I was researching, I noticed that there, the resources were so hard to find. And the resources that I did find seemed so helpful that I wanted to put them all in one place. Um, and so that was something that was missing at the time when I was developing this website is, is just a general hub of information. And so that's where neurodiversitynetwork.net you know, um, was established. And it's all basically out of the passion of advocating. So maintaining it, I, I graduated in 2019. So it's been a couple of years now. And it's, I think that um, the, the feedback that I get, I have people, you know, sending me emails and saying how um, the information has really helped them, you know, to discover something for their school or for themselves or as an employer. And that's continued my motivation to keep it up and running and people send me their resources. And so I continue to add to, to the website. Um, yeah. So that's, it's pretty easy to continue <laughs> to make it, make it run because it's just the information that seems to be helping. And if it can even just help one person, then I'll keep it up and running. So what are some of the trends happening in the neurodiverse universe? What are some things you're excited about? What's new? What's changing? What's not? What should be changing maybe? And, and what can you tell us? Yeah. So um, like I'd mentioned, this was a, you know, a project from, from my master's degree. And, and in that master's degree, my main focus was the autistic community. Because if I focused on all the different identities, it would have been more like a PhD. <laughs> so with time, I've slowly been able to expand, you know, and including the other identities that fall under um, the neurodiverse community. And so with that, um, I guess there's a couple things. Something that I've seen a big shift in uh, is the content on social media. And maybe that's partially due to, right, our pandemic at this, at this time. A lot of people are a little bit more interactive online. It could also be that I've created this nice little bubble for myself on LinkedIn and, and just the people that I'm connected with. And so I'm consistently seeing content that's being provided, but I feel like there's more awareness. I feel like there are more programs being developed. There are more training opportunities. There are conference, conferences and, and summits that are just focused on neurodiversity. And even a couple of years ago, that just felt non-existent, especially when I was researching for things. Um, so that is something that I don't know statistically if there has been an actual increase, but it's definitely something I've noticed that there's a lot more awareness um, and advocacy out there in regards to resources, you know, and advocating for, um, you know, the, the equity for the neurodiverse community. The, some of the content that I discovered during my research was again on the autistic community, because that was my focus at that time, that when you're transitioning out of school, obviously when you're in the school system, there's a lot of services that are just provided to you, right? Because it's, it's a requirement. Uh, when, when you leave school, that's not the case. And some parents would even say they feel like they fell off a cliff. Right. They, they just kind of went into an abyss, right? 
Yep. Um, and and some of the statistics that I came across were that like two thirds of young autistics they they don't move on to employment or post secondary education um, in the first two years after leaving high school compared to that of their peers um, or neurotypical peers, I should say. The, the other thing that was kind of mind-blowing to me is when I was looking at the funding from federal and private funding that, you know, go to different areas of, of the autistic community, a lot of them, like for, uh, you know, federal monies that are going into finding a, a cure, for example, or, or prevention or, you know, the child um, development programs. But what was mind-blowing to me was only 2% of the federal and private funding was allocated for what they would call these lifespan issues. And that includes employment, post-secondary education, or even just like the independent living of like housing, for example. And so it kind of makes sense that families are feeling like they're falling off a cliff because like the, the money that's allocated to the service have are essentially falling off a cliff. Um, there's just the, the money is, is, um, is not as available for the programs and support that's still needed right. in this adulthood. Um, they, they figured that most of the money that they give for that support is just social security and they're just going to be disabled the rest of their life. And so why do we need to put money into bettering their lives and so they want to just warehouse and have them exist and that's that's one of the that's one of the issues that we're seeing is there's become a shift in the ability of neurodiverse brains yeah exactly i i completely agree and and actually um i i feel the more awareness there is especially through through social media i've had people reach out to me and say gosh I think I'm one of those people. Like, I think I fit in that. And, and what you notice is, and even through keynote speakers that I've heard from is that they, they didn't know until they're in their fifties, you know, and then when they finally had this identity, you know, that they could connect to, they, it just, they said that things just made sense. Oh, that's why I do it that way. You know? And so having this understanding that you may not have this official diagnosis, right. But there are people out there that self-identify, you know, um, in this neurodiverse community. And it's important that our society is aware and is accepting and is starting to change their ways um, to be better accepting of the different ways that we think. I love it. Yes. Um, So what, employment resources are you are starting to become available to help the neurodiverse community what what are you seeing out there what what are some of the ones that are are effective that you're finding well there there are a couple avenues okay when you talk about employment resources that for example there are specific job boards you know, um, as, as a career advisor, I advise all my students, like, don't just go to, you know, one job board, right? Like go to LinkedIn and go to Indeed and, but also go to industry specific job boards or, um, identity, identity, um, uh, job boards. So the way that you identify the various job boards that you can connect with, and they do have some job boards out there for individuals that, 
are neurodiverse. There are a couple um, that I'm thinking of right now. One is called Lime Connect. Um, there are also some that are, um, you know, based in the UK. I mean, obviously, that doesn't help us if we're in, in the US, but I have various resources, even um, abroad, international, that I have on the website. There's also one called the Spectrum Careers. And, and what these, you know, uh, organizations are doing is that they're creating a job board. You have to be neurodiverse to be able to, you know, create an account and connect, or at least identified as neurodiverse to connect to these job boards. And then the organizations are finding those employers who are seeking, (laughs) you know, those particular individuals. Um, And so those are kind of nice ways uh, to, Yes, look on Indeed, looked on LinkedIn, but are you also looking at these job boards that best fit with the with how you identify, right? Um, like online dating changed dating because you can actually really quickly take away anything that wouldn't be a good fit. I like online job boards because you can become very specific with them. And mm-hmm. You know what they're looking for. You can get a match much quicker. It's a very it's a very small world on the internet. Yes, right. Like you could either go to a job board of of places where you identify um, as an individual, uh, and there are also um, job boards where you identify in the industry. Um, and so that's just you know it's like another entity that if somebody identifies in a certain way, um, such as you know uh, being neurodiverse, then. Lime Connect, the Spectrum Careers. There's a couple other ones, like I was saying in, in the UK, I think it's called Full Stack. Um, and there's a couple other ones that that are that I have on the website there. So job boards would be one. The other one is actually just seeking out those employers that are making changes. Um, there is a, um, a group of... Um, companies like Google, SAP, um, EY, um, they're all creating, uh, they're part of what's called an autism at work program. Mm -hmm. And ultimately they hope to not need the autism at work program and that they're just mainstreamed because they've changed, you know, their practices where then they're not needing a specific program, but they're changing things like how they interview. Right. It's not this traditional interview face-to-face 30 minutes. Like, are you giving me eye contact? What is your body language telling me? Like that doesn't always work. Uh, so they're switching it up and they're, they're doing these non-traditional interviews. They're, they're incorporating more um, practical components. Like here's a robotic Lego, build it. <laughs> right. I'm like, don't just you can do, don't try to sell yourself. Right. It, it's because there's, it's not just the social um, interaction. It's the, the, the hard skills, like, you know, show me how you can build this or how you can create this or, um, so, and they're, and they're not just a 30 minute. Some of them, um, are kind of this two week process. Mm -hmm. And the additional things that they're including are mentors. And so I even think, gosh, that would that would have been really helpful in a lot of my jobs if I had a mentor that kind of showed me the ropes, but then like gave me the insight of like, no, this is the company culture and this is how we communicate. And, you know, this is what is acceptable because we, there are those kind of unwritten rules of what we learn. um, Right. The soft skills. 
those soft skills. And so they're implementing um, peer mentors. They're collaborating with community organizations um, to bring in job coaches. Uh, They're adjusting their work. If somebody works better in the evening and that job can allow them to do that, why does somebody have to work in this nine to five, you know, system? Right. Um, so it, it's just kind of being really flexible and accommodating for the individual. Um, the other things is they're implementing trainings, but that's very simple for us to do, right? And in any organization, in any company, in any university, just start with awareness. And so training, st- new staff that are coming in, managers go through a more extensive training. Uh, so training is another big thing for, for employers. So a lot of these employers that it's very clear they're making these changes is another way that individuals can just reach out to them because they know that that's the environment that's being created and that, that they'll be accepted and, and their, their strengths will be identified. Right. Some of the things that we've seen over the years in our research with companies a lot of companies put out really great marketing surrounding their feel good, look at us neurodiversity program. And then many of them, their retention rates are horrible. And some of them have really poor retention rates of their hiring of neurodiverse employees. And that's one of the things you want to ask if you're supporting someone or you yourself are applying is talk to them about what their retention rate is because they can say they have a mentor. Not all mentors are created equal. And there might be one mentor for 200 employees. That's not very helpful either. Um, So retention rate would be a great question for people to ask. And And I think as an employer, looking at how can we retain these employees? How can we invest in them and then get the long-term? Yeah, another nuance we've noticed that's been really hard to watch is that a lot of companies will train their new neurodiverse employees to fit into their culture and give them resources for when they don't, instead of changing the environment. Like you said, a good company will help them understand, help the whole company understand. If anyone's gonna bend, it probably needs to be the company. Um, Agility isn't necessarily a hallmark of someone who's neurodiverse. Uh, Many of them can be, but a lot of them are so good at what they do with their black and white thinking or their what I would consider obsessive focus and traits and strengths that agility and and flexibility is not usually a part of their repertoire. So you'd want to talk to companies. And one of the things we've found in placing students is finding a smaller company, even a mom and pop shop or a smaller company with employees of 50 or less, they can be very agile and accommodating without a whole system six month study where they have to do a million dollars worth of training to adjust everything. So the company that's going to do these placements either has to be putting a large amount of money into do it in to do it right, because large companies can't be as agile as a small company. I think we've had more success in the smaller companies than the big, big companies where our students end up kind of feeling like a cog in a machine instead of a part of a part of a team or a family. Um, so I, I think there are good big companies that do it. Uh, but not all of them are created equal. I, I would agree with that. And, and I think that th- that is kind of one of the things that I'm hoping translates over, right? Like, of course, there's big money, right? in these companies. And so they can, they can start these big programs and 
but ultimately we need them in more rural areas, right? Uh, and, and but I feel the some of those same techniques of you know if even those mom and pop shops if, if it's new for them what does that look like hey well let's start with an awareness training for your staff right like and, and just like still incorporating some of those tools and is there somebody here that can generally be kind of the 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 mentor for this new employee and so point of contact not just a business right. director Maybe right. walk next to them, not be their supervisor, right? Exactly. Like a coworker, right? And helping them with that. What is that small talk? But And even small things like if you have a staff meeting, have things written down, right? Like provide the agenda ahead of time, have someone take the meeting notes, provide the meeting notes afterwards so that there's some written content for people to refer back to mm-hmm. um, and just and be prepared for to come in with. So just even those small little steps is where we can start to move towards more a more neurodiverse friendly environment. And I always, and the thing I've noticed too, is that what works for the neurodiverse population actually is works really well for everybody. Like I think everybody benefits from individual, some of these approaches, you know, accommodations with parenting. If it's working for a neurodiverse, it's going to work really well for your neurotypical child too. Like just those approaches and some of that, the mentoring and, and, more and I think that a lot of, a lot of that is, is through like what we would call just in general universal design. Right. And, and that could just, if, if we implement, I mean, that's just a great, that's a great tool to use. Um, even if you don't understand all the different identities and, and the strengths and, and the challenges, if you're Im- implementing your neuro, um, universal design techniques, then it, it does work for everyone, right? Whether it's the physical space or it's the um, kind of that, that mental space of like how you retain and process information. So if you are in a meeting and you're asking for verbal feedback on a project, but you say, but there's also, here's where you can provide feedback online or feel free to set up a meeting with me if you want a one-on-one, right? Just have a couple different options of how people can give feedback on, you know, whatever it is that, 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 company's talking about um that could help with anybody and and people just choose the method or the format that best works for them but yet the information's still getting across right what the companies we've worked with that have been very successful were one because they had a lot of front loading about our student that we would be placing within their company and saying here's what they can do here's what they might do here's what they won't be able to do and then they're like, okay, now I can set expectations realistically and we we create a job environment for them and then they're successful as opposed to fit yourself in this box and, and make sure that you do it well. The other successful point is they they have a mentor that can be very personal with them. Buddy, it's, it's really not appropriate to pick your nose as much as you do. You've got to stop picking your nose or you really do need to hold your opinions back a little bit and talk to talk to me or another coworker before you you share it online to your boss or to your boss in the middle of the meeting and someone who has that personal mentor relationship which is different than a business relationship in every way they're a friend that does what they need not necessarily what they want all the time but yeah. the relationship is always good we love mentoring mentoring is a great thing 
I like that. No, absolutely. It's, it's helpful to, and, and, and what you're talking about, the things that they, they will do and what they won't do. Um, something that I use actually with all of my students, um, neurodiverse and neurotypical is just asking like, what works for you? Right. Cause if they've gotten to this point where they're either in college or they're looking for a job, like they have an idea of what works for them. And then the next question is what doesn't work for you? Right. And just asking those two questions, you can get a lot of information yeah. to help find that kind of fit or for an employer to help customize that employment, essentially, you know, to, to really establish like, what are your skills and what works for you? And there, if this um, is, you know, the job application rarely asks that, that doesn't no, 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 a good, a good interviewer will. And the, the better companies are learning to get personal like that. But, uh, well, most of our students get hired for their hard skills. And then if they get fired, it's because of their, their lack of soft skills. So we, or yeah. the lack of understanding or awareness from the employer. Right. Which comes back to some of the soft skills of communication or advocating or seeing the big picture. Right. And those aren't usually on the, the job application requirement either. Right. You need a bachelor's degree and this experience. And we assume that everything else is normal as opposed to abnormal or atypical yeah. or. Well, and sometimes those job descriptions are another barrier in, in how they're written, because if they're saying you want a bachelor's degree, a lot of the times they say, we need you to have excellent you know, oral and written communication skills. We need you to have the ability to work in a team environment. We need you to, and for that, it could, that could be a closer for a lot of people. I'm like, whoa, I don't, that, that's not my strength. Right. And so then they feel like they can't apply for the job, but that's common language in job descriptions. And so um, that's where being a little bit more specific in, in what it does that communication look like and with what task is that you know, connected to you just really helps uh, paint a better picture for the person applying for the job. And so it's not so bad. That was a student who felt like they needed to write an email like they were asked to do to report on what was going wrong. If, if there was something wrong or there was a problem, they spent six hours killing themselves trying to write this email correct and professional and grammatical and formatting and and finally, the, the boss figured out what was going on. The supervisor said, would you please just stop in my office and give me 30 seconds of what's going on next time? Oh, the relief was so big. And that alone has made some employees not want to go back to work. And they'll just sabotage because they don't want to write an email of all the silly things that could have been fixed. Just open awareness and communication um, with just a little bit of effort can save a lot of heartache. And knowing that some people need a different route by getting to know them, you can figure out what those things are most of the time. And we find like the employers that we've worked with for with students that we place, the employers come back to us. They're like, who else do you got? They, they love these neurodiverse employees. Like they bring something different to their workplace that is unique. And, you know, it's not the same cookie cutter. It's, it's something different. And it's, it's neat to see where they're like, we like working with. <laughs> yeah. The eighties and nineties were, we're all about profit. And what we've learned is that actually, if you want better profits, change your focus from profit to teamwork and becoming and connectedness and maximizing a person's individual strengths, as opposed to, I don't know, bribing them or punishing them if they don't do it just right. And so we've changed a lot as 
as a as a business world, um, it's really cool to see whenever we go looking for jobs, everyone says, oh, I have a niece that's on the spectrum or an Aspie or totally ADHD, or I have a neighbor or my best friend growing up. And everyone has somebody that they hold dear to their hearts because of their personality. And they're almost all willing to say, I would love to give them a shot. How do we make it work? And I love seeing that because then we know if we, if we can come in and vouch for their ability and not just have them do a, a pity party hire or a, I feel bad for them. So I want to give them charity hire. And that's not fair. That's not fair to companies. It's not fair to anyone. Um, it, not even to the individual who's neurodiverse because it sets them up for failure and to be patronized. So we really do want to utilize their strengths. What are some of the ways you find how, what strengths they have? How do you match someone with a neurodiversity to their job? What are some of the tricks that you've learned or insights? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, that, that kind of what works for you is a great question. I, I feel like a lot of content comes out of that. Um, and that that's part of, you know, the, there's a model that I used in, in, in my research and, and how I kind of based the foundation of the website. Um, it's called Broffen, Broffenbrenner's model social model. Um, I probably mispronounced that, that but you, you know, together two European names and it's, it's one of those really long lengthy names. I think it's Brenner. I, if I, if I remember rightly, I'm not looking at it. Um, but essentially it's, you know, kind of like those little, um, the nesting dolls, you know, like where you have the little doll and then the, the, the bigger doll, you know, cl- encloses over and, and so forth. You have the individual right? And, and the individual has a certain responsibility, right? That they, they need to work on their skill sets. They need to understand what their strengths are. And that's everyone, right? That That's one of the top competencies that employers are seeking is, is just in general career management. Like how well do you know yourself and the skills that you bring, right? Um, so understanding, the individual needs to understand their strengths. And then the other part of that is kind of the the very kind of intimate social circle that could be friends, family, like their support network. And then it goes on to, you know, um, your community, like, is it the organizations that you're involved in, in your community and like the support that you get there. And then it goes into like institutions, like schools and, and I would include like employers and, and universities. And then you have like policy, right. Laws. Right. So there are all these layers and it can't just all be based on one person. Like they all have to work together to to be successful. So we need the employers to change some of their strategies and be more aware of the neurodiverse community. But we also need the neurodivergent to understand their strengths and to practice their skill sets, right? And we need the family to be aware and support their process and their development. So it's just this big, right? It takes a village. I think a lot of us can maybe relate to that, um, especially those that have kids, right? And it just, it takes a village to, to, um, for this development and support. So when it comes to, it, it kind of depends on the person. We're all unique. So we all come with different strengths, but a lot of, like we had mentioned earlier, hyper-focus that can definitely be a strength, right? If you have this passion and if you're talking about, I had a nine-year-old that I worked with, um, and was just fascinated with marine biology and could tell you everything about any animal that lived in the ocean. And it was fascinating. 
And I thought, man, like, I, I want you to be my biology teacher. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's, you know, if you can focus in on those strengths, I mean, that could be an amazing opportunity and and maybe interest will change over time because he's nine, but the hyper-focus can also be that challenge. Because if you're so focused, like you're saying that six hour email, <laughs> you know, that then it's a detriment to you getting your job done. Um, but honesty, like this kind of, um, you know, empathy that comes um, with someone and, um, and also just like the uh, memory, like remembering information, maybe the processing, like how the information's processed. Again, if, if the information's not available in different um, mediums, then if the information's not being received, then it's hard to retain. But um, there's a lot of strengths that come along with um, someone who's neurodiverse. And there's not this black and white, I'd say there's not, there is more of this kind of like black and white thinking and not so much of this gray area. So it can also help when a group of employees are debating and, and trying to come up with a solution on something. And there's maybe emotions, right? Sometimes we get really passionate and there's emotions involved in the decision-making. And a lot of that's taken out of decision-making for someone who may be on the spectrum, for example. Right? And they're just like, no, black and white. <laughs> like, here's how we make the decision. So it can be really beneficial of this kind of out-of-box thinking to problem solve, right? And, and, and have uh, innovative ideas to, um, you know, whatever it might be, create a new project or, or, uh, identify a problem that might save a company millions of dollars, you know, because you've identified it and pattern recognition that can also be a, re- a really good strength of individuals just identifying patterns. Um, I, th- I don't know if I got all your question. <laughs> if there was specific things or ways that you take an individual and then and then place them in the right setting i i think for i love what you're going on next to though and we can move into that which is what do employers have to gain from hiring neurodiverse people or brains i really should say it, it is our brains that we get hired for i guess and sometimes our bodies but uh, i i love how um, loyal and without guile, honest, um, neurodiverse young adults tend to be. Now, they they might be very dishonest in some ways, but oftentimes they're really bad liars. <laughs> but <laughs> but they're very honest and forthright, and they're not going to be playing games or politics at the job. Um, I'm never worried that they're going to steal someone's intellectual property and copy it and go open their own their own company. I think they're trustworthy like that. If their needs are met met and they're fit well with a company, they would rather stay there for eternity than, you know, have to go find another job. Um, And that's actually, that actually saves a company a lot of money in the long run because of how much it costs to train and turnover is very expensive and experience at your job. As soon as you give them enough experience that they're making you money instead of losing you money, which every new employee loses money for a period of time. And then they hit that threshold. Our students don't think about, I can't wait to use this experience and and make more money somewhere else. They just don't think that way. They want to do a good job. They want to belong. They want to feel loyal both ways from their employer and from them. And you kind of, they're kind of straightforward. And I like that about most of my students for sure. 
Yeah. That loyalty and honesty is, is just beautiful. Honestly, it's, it is really a nice um, aspect, you know, to have on your team. And that's really what it is, is, is having that out of box thinking, having someone that, that doesn't follow the norms can be great for business with those, like we're saying, like innovative ideas, right. And, and problem solving and this attention to detail. Um, I don't know if you've heard about uh, John Robinson. He wrote a couple books, one look me in the eyes, which is a really fun one about his life. Um, and he didn't, he was a later diagnosed um, individual, but he's a huge advocate um, uh, in the autistic community and, and, and working with the government and getting funding, but he has this beautiful life story. Uh, he didn't finish school and he went on to kind of self-teach himself. Um, he was self-taught with uh, kind of technology skills, but enjoyed um, uh, fire, <laughs> like working with, with explosions. And short story, uh, he ended up connecting with KISS, the, the uh, band. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that created all the special effects and all the, you know, oh, the pyrotechnics, yeah, for, you know, off of their guitars. And, and so he has this beautiful story, but then he went on to work for Milton and Bradley and, and um, he was able to identify a very small malfunction with like a new product that they had just sent out. Um, and because of his quick problem solving and pattern recognition, he was able to quickly establish what the problem was. They were able to quickly fix it. And instead of bringing all the product back, right, they, the company was able to tell people how to fix the problem and he saved them millions of dollars, you know, and it, it's just, it's a beautiful book. So look me in, look me in the eyes because he was always asked to look people in the eyes when he was a kid. Uh, it's, it's a really easy read and it's a fun kind of life story and get an insight of what was that like transitioning out of school and then like teaching yourself something that hyper-focused at interests and then getting connections with, you know, bands and then touring and, but then how he interacted with people and then it's, it's a really interesting story. And, and so um, he was one of my inspirations. One of the things uh, I saw him as keynote speaker when I was a graduate student. And it was one of the reasons why I kind of took this path to focus on employment, uh, you know, for, for the autistic community. Oh, um, about him. That's... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun story. I, I really enjoy it. Um, so I want to shift gears just a little bit. We're getting short on time, but I do want to touch on what are you seeing on college campuses? Like what, what's happening to be more innovative with support there? Yeah. It's Great question. Impact. Yeah. I am. Um, and so this is where I love having the website because I can expand it. And so I've started to expand it in regards to higher education. Um, and of course, after I graduated, I actually moved from kind of the employment component to um, higher education, right? And I'm on a university campus now. And so there are, are various universities that are have different initiatives, um, different programs that they have out there. Um, our campus, for example, we, we put on a, an autism um, symposium every year. And so we bring in different uh, professionals, um, keynote speakers, and a lot of parents and educators 
uh, care providers all attend and individuals um, attend to just get more information, right? And see, you know, what resources are available to them. And so, you know, if universities are able to do like a little some symposium or workshop or, you know, conference and, and start establishing that on a campus, it's, that's one way. Um, it's a great the, thing. Yeah, it, it's really fascinating. I've enjoyed every moment of, of them. And, and like I said, I've met some really amazing keynote speakers um, by attending. There are also um, like Stanford Neurodiversity Project. They do a big um, symposium and they have a lot of student support on their campus. I say that they're kind of one of the one of the leads along a monthly meeting. Um, their, their neurodiversity project has a monthly meeting where they have a guest speaker and they do a great job. They have a lot of great research. They really are a cutting edge leader in the neurodiverse movement. And I, I love what they do as well. Yeah. They, I mean, and I, I'm sure that they have a lot of kind of that, again, like we were talking about big companies and they've got the money to be able to do those type of things. And I'm sure like with Stanford, you know, that they have that great support in order to do that. And I'm so grateful for that because there is so much great information that they're putting out and, and hopefully that is in, inspiring for other campuses to try to kind of adapt some of those or adopt some of those, um, that content, uh, to apply. Um, other ones like William and Mary, actually John Robinson that I was mentioning earlier, um, teaches a neurodiversity, um, uh, course there. And there even on a smaller scale, I mean, if you're not teaching a course, if you're not, um, you know, putting a conference or symposium on, cause those are really big, you could do something as simple as just providing some small support, right? Um, Brown's university has a, um, a program called project let's L E T S. And this is primarily focusing on mental health because the individuals and, and, and the autistic community specifically, they're nine times more likely to commit suicide than their neurotypical peers. And that's huge, right? A statistic. Um, and so having these programs that focus on, you know, providing the mental health um, support uh, and, and knowing that kind of knowing the targeted groups to reach out to, to make sure they have so, those supports or, Another program would be peers. Um, they're based out of UCLA, but you can, um, it's a social skills training. And so I recently went through this training and we're hoping to somehow integrate that on our campus. We haven't quite figured out all the logistics and, and how to implement it, but I'm working with our accessibility resource center on how can we implement a social skills program and apply it to more of that career right? Like how, how do you communicate with your employer? Um, how do you, um, uh, like interviewing skills, like how do you talk about yourself in, in an interview and then communication there? Even this is a general, like we all go through a training of sexual harassment when we are hired on a job, you know, and like just talking about all of those things and that communication and, and the unwritten rules of work that, yes. you know, so all of those little things and training for your staff, again, like kind of following that model that the, the big companies are doing of training, have peer mentors. Those are all great opportunities to implement on your campus. That's pretty cool. Have you seen specific things that um, 
Now let me strike that and go back. What are what are you seeing in the maybe the the public sector government wise? Is there much going on there, or is it mostly schools and private businesses? Do you know if anything? Are you involved much in any of the legislation or changes there with with government stuff? We kind of have this love hate relationship with the public sector and the private sector and neurodiversity. And I, I think ultimately we chose as a school to go private sector um, because the funding goes up and down and the grants go up and down or in and out. And I don't know, I guess I'm curious. I, I think there's been a lot of work done. I don't know how familiar you are, you are personally with any of the legislation that's going on or changes, but do you have anything in that area? If not, we can just. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that. Um, people like John Robinson, who is a big advocate in, in that. And then also John Marble um, is another person who I really admire. I had the honor of, of co-presenting with him um, at an autism symposium. He actually worked in the um, under the Obama administration. And it wasn't until he was in that role that he actually, what he says, came out to others about his autism. Uh, and he was in like, I think he was in his like mid thirties at that time. And, you know, he's very knowledgeable in, in that realm. And he has some great stories about how once they knew, you know, his kind of out of box thinking and, and they were bringing him into different meetings because it was about topics that he said, I, I do nothing about, I don't know why they brought me into these meetings because I knew nothing about the topic, but it was so they could have his out of box thinking, you know, cause he wasn't, you know, thinking in, in the same way as everybody else. And so, um, yeah, John Robinson and John Marble, are kind of the two people that I've really, um, known to be involved in, in legislative, um, policy. It's just, yeah, it's not like my strength area, um, although we do have a little section on the website that kind of talks, breaks down what each departments do um, and, and what they're, they're funding. Uh, but that's about the extent of it for me anyways. Um, so what advice could you give to anyone who wants to get involved or would like to offer their services or resources or they know of a great resource? What can you, what can you tell them or where can you send them? Well, for anyone that's listening that has a resource that they're not seeing on the website, just shoot me an email. Um, we have our email on the website and uh, let me know about it because you know we, we want to make sure that others know about it. So that, that's one way that people can help that are aware of resources. Um, and the, the other advice is just be aware, but continue to be aware, right? Like be aware of the different identities. And uh, if you're, if you're, child, um, you know, identifies in a certain way, be aware of who they are now, but know that it's a development, right. Um, and, and be on that journey with them and continue to educate yourself, continue to, um, you know, speak to others that are, for example, on the spectrum, right. Uh, Talk to the adults that are, are on the spectrum and ask them like, what helped you? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Right. Kind of find your uh, support group. I know that there are many um, groups on uh, LinkedIn, for example, like you can find your communities, you can get insight, like speak to others that are going through 
kind of what you're going through and, and having that support, it can be really helpful, but know that it's, it's all forever changing, right? That development is forever changing. And so just making sure that you're continuing to educate yourself and be there for support. Um, those would be like my two main things, I think. Hey, that's great advice. Cause it, it really is. It's, there's so much research and new things coming out and, and it isn't such a black hole anymore of what's going to happen when they turn 18 and then are out of high school. I, there are resources and things coming about. And as we collaborate and create more awareness, it's just going to, there's a synergy that happens. And I think a snowball effect and yeah. Um, so. And I, I would also include um, start experiences. And when I mean experiences, it could be work experience, volunteer experience, I mean, anywhere where there's this opportunity to, you know, be in the work setting, start it as early as you can, because there's research that shows if, if an individual is um, in different kind of work type programs in a high school, they're they have a better success of that transition into the, into the real world, just like anybody would um, because you're starting to develop those skills, but it's, it's a nice kind of learning stage uh, when you're in high school, you know, everybody knows you're a student and that you're learning and that you don't have that work ethic yet. And you don't have this communication skills yet. And that's just with any high schooler. Right. Um, and so just making sure that the opportunities don't, don't hold them back because you feel like they're not quite ready because then school's going to be done and it's going to be a, a big wall um, to just kind of break through. So ha- take those opportunities when you can to, to, you know, allow that exploration and that experience. Oh, I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you do. Love your website and all the resources you've brought. We'll be linking to your website in our show notes. And- Thank you. And I already have your podcast on my website. So (laughs) we just, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing what you're doing. And and likewise, I I appreciate all the advocacy that you're doing and bringing information to, to everyone out there. You know, it, uh, we need everybody to do their part and, and bring that awareness and, um, you know, just be there for support. So I, I really appreciate what you both are doing also. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's what we have for you today. And, and um, to our listeners, we hope you have a, a wonderful week and um, feel a little more hopeful after this episode to, to know that there is resources and things happening with colleges and, and in the workforce. Our neurodiverse community has a lot to offer. So take care. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com.